Forgotten Classics, where a good story never goes out of style. Hello, everyone. This is Julie, and here we have episode 248 of Forgotten Classics, where we are ready to dive deep into adventure in Africa with H. Ryder Haggard and the People of the Mist. Well, okay, we already dove a bit, but we're getting ready to really get into it. First, though, let's talk about a couple of podcasts. The last podcast highlight I did was a podcast about books called Reading Envy, where Scott and Jenny talk about the books they've been reading lately. These two podcasts are also people talking about books that they've been enjoying, but they're so different. I thought I'd talk about both of them together. The first one is called Books and Culture. It is the podcast for a magazine, and I'm thinking it might be a quarterly publication. I can't remember right now. I discovered it when someone at Goodreads, and I can't remember quite who, pointed me to the podcast on What Makes This Book So Great by Joe Walton. That's a book I am waiting for the library to get in. A series of essays about books, (laughs) about rereading science fiction and fantasy. The thing is, is this podcast surprised me because the two people talking, well, especially the main person, sounded rather dry, and yet he had such an enthusiasm for this book and for the genres being discussed that I thought, okay, well, I don't care what he sounds like. His voice isn't made for radio. Let me listen to some more. So I went and listened to some more commentaries on books, really liked them. And I said, you know, it doesn't matter what the guy sounds like. He enjoys a lot of the same books that I do. And in fact, I liked what they were saying so much that I went ahead and took a flyer on a magazine subscription. I still like magazine subscriptions. I know they like to say people don't, but I have some and they're not just cooking magazines. Mystery Scene Magazine, one of my favorites, as a matter of fact. So I was surprised to see when I went to subscribe that it's called A Christian Review turns out this is a subsidiary of Christianity Today. Now, Christianity Today is one of the few Christian websites, labeled Christian anyway, that I enjoy reading because their movie reviews are really good. Their book reviews, as we can see, tend to be pretty good. And when they're talking about popular culture, they're not slapping you around with the Christian thing all the time. It's there as an undertone. But the fact that I was surprised by it when I was looking the magazine up after I listened to the podcast tells you that you can just listen to the reviews on the podcast if you want and not worry about a Christian message or whatever. So that's one. The second one is called Why I Really Like This Book. The podcaster's name is Kate McDonald. She's an English lecturer, and she loves old books specifically. At least that's what she mostly seems to talk about. I think she likes some new ones because I've seen some new authors fly by. But she really doesn't have any specific type of a book that she really is pushing more than any other. She started off her podcast by doing A to Z. So you got a full range of different authors. Then she went into a trend of doing five novels about, oh, King Arthur, five novels about gentlemen adventurers, novels of 1913, novels of 1922. 
five classic detective novels, five appalling fictional women, five great epic poems you've never read. None of these is longer than about oh, 10 minutes at the max. And this podcaster is really good at giving you a great overview so that you can get a feel for if you want to look into the book more. I've added quite a few books to my to-read list, thanks to her. Now, I will warn you that, especially in the early podcasts, which you have to go to her website and download, otherwise she's through iTunes and there are plenty there, she is pretty bad about telling you spoilers. Now, granted, these are some old books, but if they're new to you, you don't want the whole mystery told. So just to be prepared for that. As she goes along, she gets much better. I've been sampling throughout her different podcasts, and she's good on all of them. So definitely, if you want to find out about some new books, give her a try. Well, new to you. Old books that might be new. (laughs) Enough of other podcasts and other books. Let's talk about the people of the mist. We have several Afrikaans words that we're going to hear. Donga is a ditch. River horse. Okay, this I just knew is a hippo. I don't know if I said this right. This one word. Jambox. S-J-A-M-B-O-C-K-S. I couldn't find a pronunciation anywhere, but it means hide whips. Made out of animal hide, basically. Kral is a corral, and I wonder if that's where we got the word. Copy is a small hill rising from the plains. And when I was looking it up, there were a lot of pictures. And that's a good thing because that really confused me. But what they're talking about, if you're an American, they're talking about something almost like a mesa, except usually without the flat top. Not a jagged top, but just not that flat mesa tabletop, which is what mesa means, that we think of. But it's just... Everything else was softer. This was hard rock. It's sticking up from the middle of the plains. And the reason we need these words, the story. If you recall, Leonard had buried his brother. Well, Leonard and Otter had buried Thomas. Very sad. But we can also remember Leonard had been told by Tom in a mystical-seeming moment to wait around because a woman was going to help rebuild the family fortune. What's going to happen? Is he going to do it? There's only one way to find out. Let's dive in, and I'll meet you on the other side. The People of the Mist by H. Ryder Haggard Chapter 5 Otter Gives Counsel When the burial was finished, and Thomas Outram slept his last sleep beneath six feet of earth and stones, his brother took out the prayer book that Jane Beach had given him, which in truth formed all his library, and read the funeral service over the grave, ending it by the glare of the lightning flashes. Then he and Otter went back to the cave and ate, speaking no word. After they had done their meal, Leonard called to the dwarf, who took his food at a little distance. Otter, he said, setting the lantern between them, you are a faithful man and clever in your way. I would tell you a story and ask you something. At least, he added to himself in English, in such a matter your judgment is as good as mine. Speak on, boss, said the dwarf. My ears are open. 
and he squatted down on the further side of the lantern like some great toad, watching his master's face with his black eyes. Otter, the boss who is dead and I, journeyed to this country about seven years ago. Before we came here, we had been rich men, chiefs in our own place, but we lost our kraals and cattle and lands. They were sold, others took them, and we became poor. Yes, we who were fat grew lean as trek oxen at the end of the winter. Then we said to each other, Here we have no longer any home. The shame of poverty has come upon us. We are broken vessels, empty men of no account. Also, we are chiefs by blood, and here we cannot let ourselves out to labor like the common people, lest both the common people and the nobles should make a mock of us. Our great stone crawl that has been ours for many generations is taken from us. Others dwell in it. Strange women order it, and their children shall move about the land. We will go away. The blood is the blood, broke in Otter. The wealth is nothing. That comes and goes, but the blood is always the blood. Why did you not gather an impi, my father, and put these strangers to the spear and take your crawl again? In our land this may not be, Otter, for their wealth is more than race. So we should have been brought to still greater shame. Riches alone could give us back our home, and we had none left. Therefore we swore an oath together, the dead boss and I, that we would journey to this far country and seek to win wealth that we might buy back our lands and crawl and rule over them as in past years, and our children after us. A good oath said Otter. But here we should have sworn it otherwise, and there would have been a ringing of steel about that kraal, not the chink of yellow iron. We came, Otter, and for seven years we have labored harder than the lowest of our servants. We have traveled to and fro, mixing with many peoples, learning many tongues. And what have we found? The boss yonder a grave in the wilderness. I, the food that the wilderness gives, no more. A poor wage so far, said Otter. Ah, the ways of my people are more simple and better. A red spear is brighter than the red gold, yes, and it is more honest. The wealth is unwon, Otter, and I have sworn to win the wealth or die. But last night I swore it again to him who lies dead. It is well, boss. An oath is an oath and true men must keep it. But riches cannot be gathered here, for the gold most of it is hid in these rocks that are too heavy to carry. And who may charm gold out of the rock? Not all the wizards in Zululand. At the least, you and I cannot do it alone, even should the fever spare us. We must trek, boss, and look elsewhere. Listen, Otter, the tale is yet to tell. The boss who is dead dreamed before he died. He dreamed that I should win the gold, that I should win it by the help of a woman, and he bade me wait here a while after he was dead. Say now, Otter, you who come of a people learned in dreams, and are the child of a dream doctor, was this a true dream, or a sick man's fancy? Nay, boss, who can tell for sure? The dwarf answered then pondered a while and set himself to trace lines in the dust of the floor with his finger. Yet I say, he went on, 
that the words of the dead uttered on the edge of death shall come true. He promised that you should win the wealth. You will win it by this way or that, and the great kraal across the water shall be yours again, and the children of strangers shall wander there no more. Let us obey the words of the dead and bide here a while as he commanded. Seven days had passed, and on the night of the seventh, Leonard Outram and Otter sat together once more in the little cave on Grave Mountain, for so they named this fatal spot. They did not speak, though each of them was speaking after his own fashion, and both had cause for thought. They had been hunting all day, but killed nothing except a guinea fowl, most of which they had just eaten. It was the only food left to them. Game seemed to have abandoned the district. At least they could find none. Since his brother's death, Leonard had given up all attempt to dig for gold. It was useless. Time hung heavy on his hands, for a man cannot search all day for buck which are not. Gloom had settled on his mind also. He felt his brother's loss more acutely now than on the day he buried him. Moreover, for the first time, he suffered from the symptoms of the deadly fever which had carried off his three companions. <laughs> Alas, he knew too well the meaning of this lassitude and nausea, and of the racking pain which from time to time shot through his head and limbs. That was how his brother's last sickness had begun. Would his own days end in the same fashion? He did not greatly care. He was reckless as to his fate, for the hard necessities of life had left him little time or inclination to rack himself with spiritual doubts. And yet it was awful to think of. He rehearsed the whole scene in his mind again, and yet again until it became a reality for him. He saw his own last struggle for life and Otter watching it, he saw the dwarf bearing him in his great arms to a lonely cave there to cover him with earth, and then, with a sigh, to flee the haunted spot forever. Why did he stop to die of fever? Because his brother had bidden him to do so with his dying breath. Because of a superstition, a folly, which would move any civilized man to scorn. <laughs> ah, there was the rub. He was no longer a civilized man. He had lived so long with nature and savages that he had come to be as nature makes the savage. His educated reason told him that this was folly, but his instinct, that faculty which had begun to take the place of educated reason with him, spoke in another voice. He had gone back in the scale of life. He had grown primitive. His mind was as the mind of a Norseman or of an Aztec. It did not seem wonderful to him that his brother should have prophesied upon his dying bed. It did not strike him as strange even that he should believe the prophecy and act upon it. And yet he knew that in all probability this obedience would result in his own death. Those who have lived much with nature will in some degree be familiar with such sensations for man and nature are ever at variance, and each would shape the other to its ends. In the issue, nature wins. Man boasts continually of his conquests over her, her instincts, her terrors, and her hopes. 
but let him escape from out his cities and the fellowship of his kind. Let him be alone with her for a while. And where is his supremacy? He sinks back onto her breast again, and is lost there as in time to be. All his labor shall be lost. The grass of the field and the sand of the desert are more powerful than Babylon. They were before her, they are after her, and so it is with everything physical and moral in their degrees. For here rules a nurse whom we human children must obey at last, however much we may defy her. Thus brooded Leonard as he sat, his hands in his pockets, and an empty pipe between his teeth. Their tobacco was done, and yet he drew at the pipe, perhaps from habit, and all the while Otter watched him. Boss, he said at last, you are sick, boss. No, he answered, that is, perhaps a little. Yes, boss, a little. You have said nothing, but I know, I who watch. The fever has touched you with his finger. By and by he will grip you with his whole hand. And then, boss, and then, Otter, good night. Yes, boss, for you, good night. And for me, what? Boss, you think too much, and you have nothing to do. That is why you grow sick. Better we should go and dig again. What for, Otter? Ant bear holes make good graves. Evil talk, boss. Rather let us go away and wait no more than that you should talk such talk, which is the beginning of death. Then there was silence for a while. The truth is, Otter, said Leonard presently, we are both fools. It is useless for us to stay here with nothing to eat, nothing to drink, nothing to smoke, and only the fever to look forward to, expecting we know not what. But what does it matter? Fools and wise men all come to one end. Lord, how my head aches and how hot it is. I wish we had some quinine left. I'm going out. And he rose impatiently and left the cave. Otter followed him. He knew where he would go, to his brother's grave. Presently they were there, standing on the hither edge of a ravine. A cloud had hidden the face of the moon, and they could see nothing, so they stood a while, idly waiting for it to pass. As they rested thus, suddenly a moaning sound came to their ears, or rather a sound which, beginning with a moan, ended in a long wail. "'What is that?' asked Leonard, looking toward the shadows on the further side of the ravine, whence the cry seemed to proceed. "'I do not know,' answered Otter. "'Unless it be a ghost or the voice of one who mourns her dead.' "'We are the only mourners here,' said Leonard, and as he spoke, once more the low and piercing wail thrilled upon the air. Just then the cloud passed, the moonlight shone out brilliantly, and they saw who it was that cried aloud in this desolate place. For there, not twenty paces from them, on the other side of the ravine, crouched upon a stone and rocking herself to and fro as though in an agony of despair and grief, sat a tall and withered woman. With an exclamation of surprise, Leonard started toward her, followed by the dwarf. So absorbed was the woman in her sorrow that she neither saw nor heard them. 
Even when they stood close to her, she did not perceive them, for her face was hidden in her bony hands. Leonard looked at her curiously. She was past middle age, but he could see that once she had been handsome, and for a native, very light in color. Her hair was grizzled and crisp rather than woolly, and her hands and feet were slender and finely shaped. At the moment he could discern no more of the woman's personal appearance, for the face was covered, as has been said, and her body wrapped in a tattered blanket. Mother, he said, speaking in the Susutu dialect, what ails you that you weep here alone? The stranger let drop her hands and sprang up with a cry of fear. As it chanced, her gaze fell first upon the dwarf otter who was sitting in front of her, and at the sight of him the cry died upon her lips, and her sunken cheeks, clear-cut features, and sullen black eyes became as those of one who was petrified with terror. So strange was her aspect indeed that the dwarf and his master neither spoke nor moved. They stood hushed and expectant. It was the woman who broke this silence, speaking in a low voice of awe and adoration, and as she spoke, sinking to her knees. "'And hast thou come to claim me at the last?' she said, addressing Otter. "'O thou whose name is Darkness, to whom I was given in marriage, and from whom I fled when I was young,' Do I see thee in the flesh, Lord of the night, king of blood and terror? And is this thy priest? Or do I but dream? Nay, I dream not. Slay on, thou priest, and let my sin be purged. Here it seems, said Otter, that we have to do with one who is mad. Nay, Jal. The woman answered, I am not mad, though madness has been nigh to me of late. Neither am I named Jal or Darkness, answered the dwarf with irritation. Cease to speak folly and tell the white lord whence you come, for I weary of this talk. If you are not Jal, black one, the thing is strange, for as Jal is, so you are. But perchance it does not please you, having put on the flesh to avow yourself before me. At the least, be it as you will. If you are not Jal, then I am safe from your vengeance. And if you are Jal, I pray you forget the sins of my youth and spare me. Who is Jal? asked Leonard curiously. Nay, I know not answered the woman with a sudden change of manner. Hunger and weariness have turned my brain, and I spoke wandering words. Forget them and give me food, white man, she added in a piteous tone. Give me food, for I starve. There is scant fare here, answered Leonard, but you are welcome to it. Follow me, mother. And he led the way across the donga to the cave, the woman limping after him painfully. There Otter gave her meat, and she ate as one eats who has gone hungry for long, greedily, and yet with effort. When she had finished, she looked at Leonard with her keen dark eyes and said, Say, white lord, are you also a slave trader? No, he answered grimly. I am a slave. 
Who is your master, then? This black one here. Nay, he is but the slave of a slave. I have no master, mother. I have a mistress, and she is named Fortune. The worst of mistresses, said the old woman, or the best, for she laughs ever behind her frown and mingles stripes with kisses. The stripes I know well, but not the kisses, answered Leonard gloomily, then added in another tone, What is your errand, mother? How are you named? And what do you seek wandering alone in the mountains? I am named Soa, and I seek succor for one whom I love and who is in sore distress. Will my lord listen to my tale? Speak on, said Leonard. Then the woman crouched down before him and told this story. Chapter 6 The Tale of Soa My lord, I, Soa, am the servant of a white man, a trader who lives on the banks of the Zambezi some four days' march from hence, having a house there which he built many years ago. How is the white man named? asked Leonard. The black man call him Mavum, but his white name is Rod. He is a good master and no common man, but he has this fault that at times he is drunken. Twenty years ago or more, Mavum, my lord, married a white woman, a Portuguese, whose father dwelt at Delagoa Bay, and who was beautiful, oh, beautiful. Then he settled on the banks of the Zambezi and became a trader, building the house where he is now, or rather where its ruins are. Here his wife died in childbirth, yes. She died in my arms, and it was I who reared her daughter Juana, tending her from the cradle to this day. Now after the death of his wife, Mavum became more drunken. Still, when he is not in liquor, he is very clever and a good trader, and many times he has collected ivory and feathers and gold worth much money, and also has bred cattle by hundreds. Then he would say that he must leave the wilderness and go to another country across the water. I know not where that country whence the Englishmen come. Twice he has started to go, and I with him, and his daughter Juana, my mistress, who is named the shepherdess of heaven by the black people, because they think she has the gift of foretelling rain. But once Mavum stopped in a town, at Durban in Natal, and getting drunk, he gambled away all his money in a month. And once he lost it in a river, the boat being overset by a river horse, and the ivory and gold sinking out of sight. Still, the last time that he started, he left his daughter, the shepherdess at Durban, and there she stayed for three years, learning those things that the white women know, for she is very clever, as clever as she is beautiful and good. Now, 
for nearly two years she has been back at the settlement, for she came to Delagoa Bay in a ship, and I with her and Mavum met us. But one month gone, my mistress, the shepherdess, spoke to her father Mavum, telling him that she wearied of their lonely life in the wilderness and wished to sail across the waters to the land which is called home. He listened to her, for Mavum loves his daughter, and said that it should be so. But he said this also, that first he would go on a trading journey up the river to buy a store of ivory of which he knew. Now she was against this, saying, Let us start at once. We have tempted chance too long, and once again we are rich. Let us go to Natal and pass over the seas. Still he would not listen, for he is a headstrong man. So on the morrow he started to search for the store of ivory, and the Lady Juana, his daughter, wept. For, though she is fearless, it was not fitting that she should be left thus alone. Also, she hated to be apart from her father, for it is when she is not there to watch that he becomes drunken. Mavum left, and twelve days went by while I and my mistress the shepherdess sat at the settlement waiting till he returned. Now it is the custom of my mistress when she is dressed to read each morning from a certain holy book in which are written the laws of that great, great whom she worships. On the thirteenth morning, therefore, she sat beneath the veranda of the house reading in the book according to her custom, and I went about my work making food ready. Suddenly I heard a tumult, and looking over the wall which is round the garden and to the left of the house, I saw a great number of men, some of them white, some Arab, and some half-breeds, one mounted and the others on foot, and behind them a long caravan of slaves with slave sticks set on their necks. As they came, these men fired guns at the people of the settlement, who ran this way and that. Some of the people fell, and more were made captive, but others of them got away, for they were at work in the fields, and had seen the slave traders coming. Now, as I gazed, affrighted, I saw my mistress, the shepherdess, flying toward the wall behind which I stood, the book she was reading being still in her hand. But as she reached it, the man, mounted on the mule, overtook her, and she turned about and faced him, setting her back against the wall. Then I crouched down and hid myself among some banana trees, and watched what passed through a crack in the wall. The man on the mule was old and fat. His hair was white and his face yellow and wrinkled. I knew him at once, for often I have heard of him before who has been the terror of this country for many years. He is named the Yellow Devil by the black people, but his Portuguese name is Pereira, and he has his place in a secret spot down by one of the mouths of the Zambezi. Here he collects the slaves, and here the traders come twice a year with their dows to carry them to market. Now this man looked at my mistress as she stood terrified with her back against the wall. Then he laughed and cried aloud in Portuguese, Here we have a pretty prize. This must be that Juana of whose beauty I have heard. Where is your father, my dove? Gone trading up the river, has he not? Ha <laughs> ha, I knew it. Or perhaps I should not have ventured here. 
But it was wrong of him to leave one so pretty all alone. Well, well, he is about his business, and I must be about mine. For I am a merchant also, my dove, a merchant who trades in blackbirds. One with silver feathers does not often come my way, and I must make the most of her. There's many a young man in our part who will bid briskly for such eyes as yours. Never fear, my dove. We will soon find you a husband. Thus the yellow devil spoke, white man, while the shepherdess, my mistress, crouched against the wall and stared at him with frightened eyes. And the slave traders, his servants, laughed aloud at his evil words. Presently she seemed to understand, and I saw her slowly lift her hand toward her head. Then I knew her purpose. Now there is a certain deadly poison, white man, of which I have the secret, and that secret I taught long ago to my mistress. It is so deadly that a piece of it no larger than the smallest ant can kill a man. Yes, the instant after it touches his tongue, he will be dead. Living alone as she does in the wilds, it is the custom of my mistress to carry a portion of this poison hidden in her hair, since a time might come when she must use it to save herself from worse than death. Now it seemed to her that this hour was upon her, and I knew that she was about to take the poison. Then in my fear I whispered to her through the crack in the wall, speaking in an ancient tongue which I have taught her, the tongue of my own people, white man, and saying, Hold your hand, shepherdess. While you live you may escape, but from death there is no escape. It will be time to use the poison when the worst is with you. She heard and understood, for I saw her bow her head slightly, and her hand fell to her side. Then Pereira spoke again. And now, if you are ready, he said, we will be moving, for it is eight days' journey to my little nest on the coast. And who can tell when the dows will come to fetch my blackbirds? Have you anything to say before you go, my dove? Now my mistress spoke for the first time, answering, I am in your power, but I do not fear you, for if need be I can escape you. But I tell you this, that your wickedness shall bring your own death upon you. And she glanced round at the bodies of those whom the slave traders had murdered, at the captives whom they were setting chains and forks of wood upon, and the columns of smoke that were rising from her home for the roof of the settlement had been fired. For a moment the Portuguese looked frightened. Then he laughed aloud and said with an oath, crossing himself, after the fashion of his people as a protection against the curse, What? You prophesy, do you, my dove? And you can escape me at your will, can you? Well, we shall see. Bring the other mule for this lady, you fellows. The mule was brought, and Juana, my mistress, was set upon it. Then the slave traders shot down such of the captives as they thought to be of no value. The drivers flogged the slaves with their three-thonged jambocks of hippopotamus hide, and the caravan moved on down the banks of the river. 
When all had gone, I crept from my hiding place and sought out those men of the settlement who had escaped the slaughter, praying them to find arms and follow on the yellow devil's spoor, waiting for an opportunity to rescue the shepherdess whom they loved. But they would not do it, for the heart was out of them. They were cowed by fear, and most of the headmen had been taken captive. No, they would do nothing except weep over their dead and the burnt crowds. You cowards, I said, if you will not come, then I must go alone. At the least, let some of you pass up the river and search for Mavum to tell him what has chanced here in this house. The men said they would do this, and taking a blanket and a little food, I followed upon the track of the slave drivers. For four days I followed, sometimes coming inside of them, till at length the meat was done and my strength left me. On the morning of the fifth day I could go no farther, so I crept to the top of a copy and watched their long line winding across the plain. In its center were two mules, and on one of these mules sat a woman. Then I knew no harm had befallen my mistress as yet, for she still lived. Now from the copy I saw a little kraal far away to the right, and to this kraal I came the same afternoon with my last strength. I told its people that I had escaped from the slave drivers, and they treated me kindly. Here it was also I learnt that some white men from Natal were digging for gold in these mountains, and the next day I travelled on in search of them, thinking perchance they would help me, for I know well that the English hate the slave drivers. And here, my lord, I am come at last with much toil, and now I pray you deliver my mistress, the shepherdess, from the hands of the yellow devil. Oh, my lord, I seem poor and wretched, but I tell you, if you can deliver her, you shall win a great reward. Yes, I will reveal to you that which I have kept hidden all my life, I even from Mavum, my master. I will reveal to you the secret treasures of my people, the children of the mist. Now when Leonard, who all the while had been listening attentively and in silence to Soa's tale, heard her last words, he raised his head and stared at her, thinking that her sorrows had made her mad. There was no look of madness upon the woman's fierce face, however, but only one of the most earnest and indeed passionate entreaty. So letting this matter go by for the while, he spoke to her. Are you then crazed, mother? He said. You see that I am alone here with one servant, for my three companions of whom the people in the kraal told you are dead through fever, and I myself am smitten with it. And yet you ask me alone as I am to travel to this slave trader's camp, that is, you know not where, and there single-handed to rescue your mistress, if indeed you have a mistress, and your tale is true. Are you then mad, mother? No, Lord, I am not mad, and that which I tell you is true, every word of it. I know that I ask a great thing, but I know also that you Englishmen can do great things when you are well paid. Strive to help me, and you shall have your reward." I should you fail and live, I can still give you a reward, not much perhaps, but more than you have ever earned. Never mind the reward now, mother, 
broke in Leonard testily, for the veiled sarcasm of Soa's speech had stung him. Unless, indeed, you can cure me of the fever, he added with a laugh. I can do that, she answered quietly. Tomorrow morning I will cure you. So much the better, he said with an incredulous smile. And now of your wisdom, tell me how I am to look for your mistress, to say nothing of rescuing her when I do not know whither she has been taken. Probably this nest of which the Portuguese talked is a secret place. How long has she been carried off? This will be the twelfth day, Lord. As for the nest, it is secret. That I have discovered. It is to your wisdom I look to find it. Leonard mused a while. Then a thought struck him. Turning to the dwarf, who had been sitting by, listening to all that was said in stolid silence, his great head resting upon his knees, he spoke to him in Dutch. Otter, were you not once taken as a slave? Yes, boss, once, ten years ago. How was it? Das, boss, I was hunting on the Zambezi with soldiers of a tribe there. It was after my own people had driven me out because they said I was too ugly to become their chief as I was born to be. Then the yellow devil, that same man of whom the woman speaks, fell upon us with Arabs and took us to his place, there to await the slave dows. He was a stout man, horrible to see, and elderly. The day the dows came in, I escaped by swimming, and all the others who remained alive were taken off in ships to Zanzibar. Could you find your way to that place again, Otter? Yes, boss. It is a hard place to find, for the path runs through morasses. Moreover, the place is secret and protected by water. All of us slaves were blindfolded during the last day's march. But I worked up my bandage with my nose. Ha <laughs> ha, my big nose served me well that day, and watched the path from beneath it. And Otter never forgets a road over which his feet have traveled. Also, I followed that path back. Could you find the spot from here? Yes, boss. I should go along these mountains, ten days' journey or more, till we struck the southernmost mouth of the Zambezi below Loabo. Then I should follow the river down a day's journey. Afterwards... Two or more days through the swamps, and we come to the place. But it is a strong place, boss, and there are many men armed with guns in it. Moreover, there's a big cannon, a by and by. Again, Leonard thought a moment. Then he turned to Soa and asked, Do you understand Dutch? No? Well, I have found out something of this nest from my servant. Pereira said it was eight days' journey from your master's settlement, so your mistress has been there some three or four days if she ever reached it. Now, from what I know of the habits of slave traders on this coast, the Dows will not begin to take in their cargoes for another month because of the monsoon. Therefore, if I am correct, there's plenty of time. Mind you, mother, I'm not saying I'll have anything to do with this business. I must think it over first. Yes, you will, white man, she answered. But of that I will tell you tomorrow, after I have cured you of your fever. And now I pray, black one, show me a place where I may sleep, for I am very weary.
so. We are set up for adventure. Rescue the fair, beautiful, good young girl from the slave traders. Worst slave traders of all. The white guy selling the white girl into slavery. Let's just face it. That's how the people of H. Ryder Haggard's day would have seen it. Uh, We look at it and just go, horrible all around. (laughs) But, as we've mentioned before, they did not have the same context or ideas back then as we did, so I'm sure it would have just been the ultimate horror to think of that young, innocent girl in those despicable hands. Because, of course, it would be for anyone. That was kind of an interesting little passage in the middle there, wasn't it? Where where we're told that Leonard is more uncivilized than civilized, and that idea of man and nature always being in tension. Man living in the cities can kind of ignore it, but when he's out of the cities, he's got to bow to nature. It was just, to me, unexpected and true. <laughs> so I was kind of surprised to find it there. Well, that's all for now. Next week, we are off to adventure. Around here, not much else is going on, except that, you know, Tom's mother died in August. Well, here we are in February, and her estate has finally been settled in probate court and all those places. No one arguing about stuff. It just takes that long, evidently. And so we've come into a bit of a windfall And I'm pretty excited because right now I am waiting for someone to deliver a new dishwasher. We have not had a working dishwasher for, oh my goodness, years, years. And I always wondered why it was that any dishwasher I had quit working after two or three years. Turns out when we were looking up what would be the best kind of dishwasher to get, On chow.com, somebody had asked the same question that we wanted. I've got this much money. I just need a dishwasher. It doesn't need to do anything fancy. What are your recommendations? And someone had come in and said, well, according to Consumer Reports and J.D. Powers, here are the two kinds that are the best. But the thing they said that was most interesting was that unlike the usual recommendation from Consumer Reports, it's best to get the extended warranty. Usually they say it's a waste of money. And that's actually Tom's and my attitude is you should be making something so it lasts. I shouldn't have to buy this insurance on your crappy workmanship. And usually that works out. But my experience and then coupled with their recommendation makes us think that dishwashers must need more maintenance regularly, or they just have some kind of a I don't know, situation that makes them fall apart faster. We got it. We just considered it as part of the cost of the machine. So I'm kind of excited. I have a dishwasher that should last me five years. Woohoo! <laughs> I looked at all the dishes last night that I was washing my hand. Usually not a big deal since it's just the two of us now. But when we have a lot of company over or even the kids and their friends might come over, Then we've got a lot of dishes to wash. And I just was going, oh my gosh, this could go in there. That could go in there. Oh, I'm not going to have very many dishes left at all. This is super exciting. So I can hardly wait to get that baby fired up. (laughs) I know this sounds silly if you've got a dishwasher already, but believe me, it's a luxury and it's a luxury I'm going to appreciate until I get used to it. At least a couple of weeks, right? (laughs) 
Other than that, well, I get nothing. Except that while I'm waiting during this four-hour window for them to bring by the dishwasher, I am defrosting the freezer. Not something I've been looking forward to, but forced to spend four hours at home, I can't deny it any longer. (laughs) Yeah, one of those things that you don't want to do, but when you get it done, you're so glad you did it. So this is my yearly freezer defrosting. I know everybody was dying to hear that, right? I have to provide the leaven, the balance, I guess more is the better word, of exotic adventures in Africa. Let's talk about real life, people. Dishwashers and defrosting freezers. That's me. No wonder I love these stories, right? (laughs) And I really appreciate, as always, you coming by to listen. I would not be reading these out loud otherwise, and I just love it. So thank you very much. Have a great week, everyone, and I'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.